We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on in Perth, Western Australia. The Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation. We wish to acknowledge their continuing culture. And pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Unscripted, the film show. You can't handle the truth! I'm walking here! I'm walking here! Here's Johnny! You're going to need a bigger boat. I'll have what she's having. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Good afternoon and welcome to Unscripted, the film show for another episode. Uh, all your latest about film, TV and pop culture things. I'm Cecilia and I'm joined by Lewis who is also in the studio. Hello, Lewis. Hello, Cecilia. How's it going? Good. Could you turn my mic down just a smidge? I can. I've just, I've just <laughs> noticed and it's really high. Yeah, it's very <laughs> very loud in my ears. So that's much better. Much better. It's funny though because Rachel, who um, is not here tonight, uh, she always wants me to turn it up and you always want me to turn it down and there's never this kind of happy medium. <laughs> so I think one of you just end up taking your headphones off because uh, the, the guest button does two of the mics whereas uh, the, the main person in the main seat or the driver's seat, mm. I should say, not the main seat, that sounds a bit <laughs> weird, uh, the driving seat has their own little one that they can turn down. Uh, do you want me to turn it down some more? Because it's still up quite no, high. No, that, that's fine. I can, good with that? Yes, it's, that's cool. all good. It's always uh, weird hearing your own voice quite loud coming through. So <laughs> sometimes you just have to turn it down. Well, a lot of the times, I, like, <laughs> I, I, I tell them secrets, but a lot of times I don't actually wear my headphones in here because it's really yeah. only when you're driving the desk that you, you need to have your headphones on. You do because so. for some reason if someone is not, you can't hear somebody, you need to be able to know it. But I often don't wear mine too, which is a bit naughty, naughty. It's sometimes so. when, you, when you leave the mics on by accident is the uh, is a thing. So. Yes, or, or don't turn the mics back on after a, a break, True. which has actually happened in this studio before uh, many years ago, I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we have, well, I know I have a film to talk about tonight. Uh, we did actually have a busy week of film, but we, we two did. of the films... Um, Aren't out until next week. I'm not, and and uh, one of the films because uh, Rachel is of course not here tonight because she's not hearing her dulcet tones. Um, she's feeling unwell, so we hope she gets better quickly. Um, I think it's only a headache. Don't panic. It's, it's fine. <laughs> it's not a tumor. Uh, but uh, yeah, but we saw a movie on Mon- on Tuesday night uh, called Moon Age Daydream. Yes, I got it right. Moon Age Daydream. See, I just say Moonage. Moon yeah. age, but I think it's more Moon Age. Moon I'm not, I'm not Age. Sure. Moon Age. Moon Age. But it's a it's a movie. It's a documentary about David Bowie or Bowie, depending on how you pronounce it. Uh, and it is um, it's interesting. And but the thing is, is that uh, you know, I uh, like Bowie's music. I, I've I know his music because um, I'm old. Um, I don't know what your your feelings are about Bowie, uh, but Rachel is a massive fan of Bowie. Her cat is called Ziggy. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon there was a you know a good chance that her son could have ended up being called Ziggy, but yeah, uh, they they went with a, a much more um, you know regular name of Bryce. Um, and uh, yeah, but she's a big fan, and she's also a big fan of art. And I think that's the Venn diagram for that film is like being a Bowie fan and being a art fan. Mm. If you do like both those things, then you'll probably love that movie. But we we're going to talk about that in more detail next week because uh, it would be unfair um, to talk about it uh, without uh, Rachel here. But I think we had a very brief discussion last night and I think we both had very similar kind of feelings Mm. about the film. But I think it'll be an interesting one to unpack and really dive into. And, yeah, like you say, hear Rachel's thoughts as a really hardcore fan of both of those yes. things and uh, my mum's a huge fan of David Bowie so I've always known who he is and you know I think his style is incredible so uh, yeah it'll be a really good one to talk about uh, as well and then we also seen a uh, film last night that was called Bodies 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 um, and it's uh, th- that film again we'll talk about it in more detail next week because it comes out next week um, 
But that one is a, a horror film about uh, friends who uh, you know go to somebody's house and decide to play a game called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Now, in Australia, like, I'm not the kind of person who likes them to change or regionalise names of films because, um, you know, that, that, that's happened before. Like mm. there was a, a movie called The Rundown uh, with The Rock in it, one of his earlier films, and in Australia they changed the name to Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, no way. Yeah, because they thought we wouldn't know what rundown meant. Oh. And even though they explain what it is in the film, they change it to Welcome to the Jungle. We're so, not that stupid. Yeah. Seriously, people. <laughs> but generally, uh, and I don't, I, you know what I've, I really don't like, um, is with animated features where they go, oh, and we're going to cast these local people for these <laughs> characters. And the thing is, is that they cast those local people for the prints of the film that are shown in Australia. So in Australia, you'll have a local actor playing this part, but in the actual release from America, it'll be another actor playing that part. And it's just like, don't do that. Just just make one movie and release that one movie in all territories. Now, obviously, you know, if it's a, a not an English-speaking country, you've got to get it dubbed. But in English-speaking countries, just put that same one out. And mm. Don't change that character because then you'll see another version of it down the track. Go, Hang on a tick. Wasn't that, wasn't that Mark Mitchell playing that character? <laughs> yeah, you're like, what? But, yeah, so it, I don't like regionalising it. But I think with Bodies, 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 like, you know, that's not the game we play here in Australia. We play Murder in the Dark. We do. So they should have just renamed the film for Australian audiences Murder in the Dark. Would have made a lot more sense. Yeah, I remember getting in a fight with a friend of mine when I was quite young about a film that had come out and she had seen, she must have seen the American version and then I had seen the one that had been released in Australia and we were so conflicted on the name of the film because I was like, no, it's called this. And she's like, no, it's called this. And the film was, uh, I think it was called Roadkill in Australia, mm. but Joyride in America. Right. So she's like, no, it's called Joyride. And I'm like, no, it's called Roadkill. And we literally got in this massive argument over this. And then we realised, oh, hang on a minute. They've changed the names because of the, yeah, territory. It's so, yeah. called both. It's called both. We're both right. Yeah. But, yeah, I think Murder in the Dark is more representative of that game than Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So, I know. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know how to play Murder in the Dark, I'm sure you all have, it's where you usually gather at a sleepover or slumber party of sorts and uh, you draw from uh, the hat um, and if you get the, the X or the one that says murderer, you're the murderer, you turn off all the lights and you've got to tap somebody, they scream, everyone falls down. Uh, not everyone falls <laughs> down, sorry. The, the person who gets touched falls down, acts like they're dead. Lights come on and then it's a guessing game as to who the murderer is. So, yeah, interesting game. I haven't played it for many years, which is probably a good thing because I am 30. So <laughs> if I was still playing uh, that in my 30s, it'd be a bit weird. But um. Weirdly enough, there was uh, only murders in the building the, the uh, TV show True. on Disney Plus, they actually um, had that as one of the key themes in the current series. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that I haven't thought about Murder in the Dark for decades and all of a sudden it's just coming up like several times in one year. That's so funny. Yeah. That's really funny. It's quite a scary game though when you think about it because all the lights go out and you just don't know what's going to happen to you. So We, we played this game. I think it was actually called Dracula. Oh. And it was a, a, a game where you get a, a tape, right? So you had a tape, you put the tape into a tape player and this is how old it was. It was a tape. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, uh, it's basically a game of hide and seek except the seeker is a vampire and the vampire is trying to turn everyone else in the house into vampires right? by just touching your your, your neck with their two fingers uh, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, and then so he's got – they've got to turn everyone into a vampire and you've got to guess who the, the vamp, who Dracula is. Oh, the and head honcho, hey? Yeah, yeah. But the best thing was the tape that came with it was like this really atmospheric woo kind of music and this bell that tolls to, to tell you when the round starts when it finishes. <gasps> That's creepy. It was a phenomenal game. Really, really cool. And we, uh, my friend Eugene had a, uh, a friend who had a house up in Kalamunda. Yes. Big house, lots of rooms. And so we went there and played it there and it was amazing. Wow, that's scary. So once you're turned, yeah. are you then able to turn others or are you out of the game until... I, I can't remember. I can't remember if you can turn others or if you're just out of the game. Game and then by the time... It- 
eventually everybody's turned. Yeah. That, that's really cool. I like that. Yes. Very. I remember hurting my ankle really badly playing a game of Murder in the Dark, though. Um, it, it was so sore and swelled up the next day. I couldn't walk on it for weeks oh, after. Really? My parents refused to take me <laughs> to the doctors to get an X-ray as well. <laughs> but they're like, it's just swollen. It's just swollen. But it was pretty horrific. So <laughs> I stopped playing after that incident because uh, I, I just couldn't see where I was going and unfortunately had a, had a bit of a... Yeah, incident. So there you go. Well, we might take a short break and we'll pop back after this. We are back. I was just perusing some film news, as I like to do when we don't have a whole lot of films to to review, even though we do, but we're, you know, holding off on on some of them. Um, And I come across Winnie the Pooh Goes Feral in the Blood and Honey trailer. And that caught my interest uh, for sure because I'm a huge fan of horror. Uh, And, you know... Obviously, Winnie the Pooh as well. So what happens when a lovable, cuddly icon uh, enters into some kind of bloody, brutal horror film in which the best pal Piglet go on a killing spree? Wow. So that looks like it's the premise of the film, Winnie the Pooh and Piglet go on a killing spree. But I've seen pictures of it. And it looks like people in masks. So Ah, there you go. So is it like it's not... Actually, Winnie, Winnie the, the Pooh and Piglet just going <laughs> just crazy ape <laughs> and just killing people. I think it's people who are just using that. I mean, I may be wrong. I, I think you could be right. The basic setup for the film is that Christopher Robin is uh, a bandit, has abandoned his hundred acre wood powers to go off to college, uh, and when he returns to there, he discusses the terrible truth of what has happened. Um, or maybe, maybe it is. Maybe they are. Maybe it is. So that sounds like. Pretty much. I'm going to do some more research on this and get back to to people because I I literally have just come across it. I haven't had much time. But when I'm looking, I can see some of the images here and they do look like people in masks. So how dare they take uh, the the wonderful creatures of Winnie the Pooh and turn them into evil people? Well, you see, this is the thing. When uh, properties fall out of their copyright mm. and become public domain is that anyone can take those characters and they can make any movie about which is why you see um you know so many movies about you know Sherlock Holmes and you know Peter Pan and you know, all the you know all the uh, the Grimm's fairy tales like mm. anyone can make a Snow White movie there's nothing stopping you from doing that because it's uh, public domain uh so Winnie the Pooh they can make uh, whatever film they want with Winnie the Pooh and that's one of the things that Disney's really afraid of is because Mickey Mouse is just about to fall into the public domain but it's not like uh, the Mickey Mouse like you see today, it's the original Mickey Mouse, you know, from Steamboat Willie times, you know, the black and white guy. Ah, oh, yes, yes. So once he, he falls out of uh, copyright in the next couple of years, then people could use him for anything they want. That's and Disney scary, isn't has it? no control of it whatsoever. That's frightening. I have just found a little bit more of a synopsis for the film uh, and here we go. This is from Wikipedia, so just to, to <laughs> preface that. But uh, during his childhood, Christopher Robin befriended Winnie the Pooh, Piglet and their friends playing games and also providing them with food. As he grew, these visits grew more infrequent as did the food supply, causing Pooh and the others to grow increasingly hungry and desperate. When Christopher went to college, the visit stopped completely, causing Pooh and Piglet to become completely feral and unhinged, resulting in Eeyore and the others getting killed and eaten at some point. Now Christopher has returned to the forest alongside his new wife, hoping to introduce her to his old friends. Feeling betrayed, this results in them going on a murderous rampage for human flesh as they antagonise a group of university girls who are occupying a rural cabin. Bum, <laughs> bum, bum. What, a, what an interesting premise to a film that, there. That is just... They they were stoned when they, they dreamt this up, surely. Clearly. I do worry about some of the, the toys I had when I was younger and, and thinking that I've abandoned them and where are they. Um, I had a lot of toys. I, I, I know that's really weird to announce on air and share with everybody. I had a lot of stuffed animal toys and I absolutely loved them. And uh, I wonder what happened to them if they're out there in the woods now. So how come you don't know? What, did you give them away? Yeah, you... I gave a lot of them away to like, you know, Salvation Army oh, yeah. and, and, you know, re-donated them. I still have my beloved Floyd who is, um, he's pink, so Pink Floyd. Um, right. He he occasionally uh, has to get re um, 
Stuffed. Restuffed. You take him back to build a bear, do you? Well, my grandma's very crafty, so I take him over over to there and she restuffs him and plumps him back up and <laughs> his eyes get redrawn on because it's, <laughs> it's quite bizarre at a, at a 30 years of age. But, you know, that just goes to show you how toys can be a, a big part of our lives. Well, it's kind of weird because I didn't have a lot of toys growing up. Uh, but I did. That sounded very sad when you said that. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just it's just one of those things. Like uh, I, I don't know if my parents saw the uh, you know the benefit of having a lot of toys. Like parents these days seem to uh, overcompensate and make sure their their kids have uh, too many toys. And I guess like the, the, they'll probably grow up to be um, quite uh, uh, adjusted uh, adults um, who don't have a fixation on the things of their childhood, like uh, like I do. Um, but yeah, I didn't have a lot of toys growing up and uh, I, I did get a teddy bear, not a teddy bear, I bought a, a koala bear that is in a green and gold jumpsuit and it was for the Commonwealth Games. Ah. Uh, it would have been Commonwealth Games in the 80s sometime. Yeah. And I've still got him. Uh, his his foot was coming off at one stage and I don't know if I fixed it or if it's still coming off. Uh, and there is a curry stain on one of his uh, <laughs> feet. But um, uh, that's uh, what happens when you, you grow up in an Indian household. Um <laughs> But yeah, I didn't have a lot of toys growing up and uh, so I did get a lot of toys and I collected all these action figures and stuff like that, but I did end up giving them to my nieces and nephews. So mm. I, I hope that they're, they're looking after them. Oh, they're probably much. not. They've probably all been broken and thrown in the bin, but uh, there you go. They probably all hate me. Not, not, not my nieces and nephews, but the, the toys the probably toys. hate me. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, didn't you see Toy Story? Didn't you see what the kid next door to Addie did to the toys? That's what happened to me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, that's yes. I'm the Winnie the Pooh thing. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I like all that kind of weird stuff. Mm. Um, that's what we need is more of that. Because yeah, I told you about the uh, um, uh, Willy's Wonderland. I was just about to say to you. Remember how you told me about Willy's Wonderland? Well, I finally watched mm. Willy's Wonderland, and it is so good. It's brilliant. Um, it's a film which stars Nicolas Cage as uh, someone who doesn't speak for the duration of the entire film. I don't think, unless no. he says something. Doesn't say a word. No, it doesn't say a word. And oh, what's he do? He's out and about, and his car breaks down, right? Yep. And then he's outside this. Um, the only way I can describe it is, you know, how you've got like the Chuck E. Cheese mm-hmm. and, and places like that. There's a place called Willy's Wonderland, and it's been completely shut down. But uh, these kind of toys and mannequins that. Animatronics. Thank you. (laughs) Animatronics that were within this wonderland come to life and uh, there's some kids who are around as well terrorising the place and they get caught in the midst. But, you know, yeah, Nicolas Cage comes to the rescue and kicks some animatronic butt. It's an amazing film. And if you've always, if you watch Nicolas Cage films and you're gone, I just wish this guy would be quiet, this is the film for you. Like, and it's amazing that even though he does not say one word in the film, there is one scene where he goes total Nicolas Cage to 11. He does. And it's a, it's a scene where he's um, playing a pinball machine, uh, drinking his energy drink and doing a bit of a dance. Mm. And it's like, that is amazing. He drinks a lot of energy drinks throughout this film though. I'm like, how did this guy not have a heart attack? I'm surprised, yeah, I'm surprised his heart didn't explode. It yeah. was, it's, it's, it's full on. But yeah, I want to see, because the, the t- name of his character is just called the janitor. Yes. And and I want to see more of, of this character. Just going around, yeah. like, because... He clearly is a bit uh, on the spectrum um, and he's very focused uh, on what he's got to do and if you tell him to do something, he will do it to the letter. Mm. Like when he takes his breaks, that's, yeah. that's his, his goal. Like no matter what he's doing, if his watch goes off to say time to take a break, he'll take a break. There's clearly a backstory or an origin story that you could explore with this character. You could find out where he's come from and, yeah, just put him into all these different situations, I think. But it was such a good film. I really enjoyed I love those type of real B-grade horror films and I think they're kind of cult classics in mm. the making, aren't they? They're films that you can revisit and, yeah, I, I could easily watch that film again. Um, but, yeah, no, I was so glad that you come across it and then I, I finally found it on one of the streaming services. It might have been on two um, and, yeah, just watched it and, and loved every second of it. So perhaps this Winnie the Pooh film will be very similar I look to, to that. Willie's Wonderland's actually got a, um, a prequel comic that I'm collecting. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's 
it's pretty darn good. I didn't realise that yeah. at all. That's um, really exciting stuff. Cool. Yep. No, I might have to get into. I might have to get into comics now. <laughs> well, I can. I, I can lend you it. I actually, it probably will be one of those ones. Sometimes I buy the the floppies, which is the the individual issues, mm. and uh, and then I will. Uh, occasionally buy a trade of the floppies they have on the shelf that you could pull that and read the whole story. Oh. Um, recently, the, there was a comic book uh, from the 90s called uh, Hate. Now, it sounds like it's a horrible comic because it's called Hate. It's called but hate. the reason that Peter Bagg, who wrote the comic, called it Hate was because his comic before that was called Neat Stuff. Oh. Not a comic for kids. Uh, it was a comic that you know, had adult, not adult content in sex, but... Just adult themes, themes in it. Um, and uh, so he didn't want, it, with neat stuff, people would buy that for their kids, think it was a kid's comic. So he didn't want to have the, the name of the comic being anything that could be misconstrued as a kid's comic. So he called it Hate. Ah. But it's just a story about growing up in Seattle during the grunge period and this guy who was managing a band and stuff like that. But it ran for 30 issues and then it had some uh, annuals and stuff like that. But they recently put out a three box set, a three volume box set of every issue of Hate. And I was just like, oh my God. I must have this. And even, even though it was like 200 bucks for the whole thing, like, I, I was must like, have I that. really must have this. Well, you do have a pretty impressive collection, so um, you've got to keep adding to it to keep the collection growing. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Downside is I've got to one day figure out what the hell to do with it. <laughs> nah. Nah. Keep collecting. <laughs> Well, unless you run out of room and then you need need some more room. That's, well, that's the downside of things. I'm, with the Marvel Universe, like we've seen all the shows and all the movies that Marvel have done and – they've taken really obscure characters and made them very popular. Mm-hmm. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy were kind of like n- not really massively popular in the comics, but now thanks to the movies, they're very, very popular. Uh, and now you've seen like you know, Ms. Marvel on mm-hmm. screen, uh, you, you've seen um, the Eternals, and there's this one character, and I think I'm not sure if I've got the whole run of his comics, but there's a character called Sleepwalker where there's this guy who when he goes to sleep, a being comes out of him and uh, is the the hero. So, oh. and the, it's a, this green alien type looking guy with a purple costume. And I'm going, that's the, that's the film or TV show I'm waiting for is for them to actually make Sleepwalker work. That <laughs> sounds like a really good setup to a show, though, because mm. imagine that guy falls asleep. Character comes out, gets up to all sorts. Guy wakes up next day. It's like, what the hell? Does it look similar to him? So people, no, no, it's completely different. Completely different. Mm. So yeah, that's that's uh, one of the the, the movies I'm looking forward to. If Kevin Feige can get that uh, working, I'd be very happy. Please do. I'm sure it's in the works. (laughs) I mean, that's where people get their content from. I mean, yeah, drawing on comic books Mm. and and things like that. So uh, there you go. Well, we might. uh, I'm wondering if we should review a film before we take a break. The Italian Film Festival is coming up. Uh, very shortly, mm-hmm. um, and I saw a, a film. Uh, called, actually, I think this one's going to be screening on the twenty fourth of September Perfect. at Palace Rain Cinemas. Um, well, I've seen uh, one of the films that's going to be uh, in the, uh, the the film festival called Breaking Up in Rome. Breaking Up in Rome. This sounds like a, a rom com. Well, it's a it's a reverse com oh. rom com if if there is such a thing, um, but you've got uh, the the, uh, the the two main uh, actors in the film are uh, in a relationship. Obviously, mm-hmm. can't be breaking up if you ain't if you're not in a relationship, um, and she is. Uh, a Spanish uh, game developer. So she uh, works in Rome, but she's from Spain and she develops um, video games, works for a video game company. Um, and uh, he is a writer, is writing his, his novel, uh, but uh, he also, as a side business, uh, to make a bit of money on the side, is an agony ant. So uh, people, uh, you know, ring him up or write to him with oh. their problems. Uh, Why do people in these types of films always have strange, like they're never just an accountant and like, a business manager. It's always like writer and game developer. Well, like, what about a, an accountant and an Uber driver? I don't know, but like, people give them real. I mean, I just feel like they never have real jobs. Like, that's in, in 
quote, <laughs> quote marks, by the way, people who, who obviously can't see what we're doing. But I just feel like they never have real jobs. You should read Hate because, like, <laughs> in Hate, like, you know, Buddy's, like, working real jobs and his girlfriend works real jobs. And so maybe they should make a film about Hate. You'd love that. I think I um, will. Now, but, yeah, he's uh, – his being a writer is, is one thing, uh, but the agony art – part of his career is the main point of it because he gets con- contacted by a lady who's having issues with her boyfriend and they've been together for 10 years and she's from Spain Oh, and he's from Italy and he's like going, holy crap, I think this is my girlfriend. Oh, I see where this is going. Yeah, so... She's written to him and so he starts texting back to her um, to like find out some more information about what he's doing wrong so that he can kind of fix things. And so it's interesting because, you know, generally speaking, people like the first time they, they find – well, unless the, – the, the, you know, sometimes people are in rocky relationships mm. and like the writing's kind of on the wall that they're going to mm-hmm. break up at some point in time. But then there's those things where some people think they're in a good relationship and the other person thinks they're not the, the great relationship and then they break up and the other person's like, what, 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 what happened there? Yeah. I don't know what, what's going on. What happened? Um, mm. And so he's like the one that's getting broken up with and he knows that it's because this woman no longer loves him mm. and he's trying to figure out what he's done wrong and how he can fix things. Yeah. But... Is he doing it in a ethical manner because he's being this other person that she doesn't realise he is? So it's a really good film. Yeah, it's just a, it's such an interesting concept, mm. you know. Um, and I, I mean, if any if anyone's been in you know long term relationships and they've you know broken down, they could probably relate to this kind of thing. And you question whether would you have liked to have this kind of power in that you know breakup and you know but um yeah it was it was a very interesting film so but i think that the, the only problem was is that the uh the female act i wish i could find the i'm trying to find the cast for uh for the film um the the main female lead i just she didn't come across as very likable mm. but that's the point like she's like very driven in her career and everything like that and she's going to be moving to to London and her team is so happy she's going. Oh, wow. Um, it's like – and I think she, she kind of like um, grows up a bit and kind of understands a bit more about herself – um, through going through the, uh, the, the whole breakup kind of, kind of issues. Um, so the, the two characters are Tommaso and Zoe uh, and they've been, been together for 10 years um, and uh, the, uh, Tommaso is played by El Dorado Leo uh, who if you've seen Italian films before you've probably seen him crop up in the, in the past um, and Zoe is Marta Nito um, and, and they're both great actors but yeah, he, yeah she's not very likeable um, He's more likable, I guess. But so you kind of side with him by the sounds you of it. You do tend to yeah. side with him, kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting movie. Like I don't know if it would have worked better had she been like a, a more likable kind of character who just had like you know fallen out of love with this guy, but she didn't know why. Mm. Or but it's yeah, it's and then she falls back in love with him because they're going back and forth. Or maybe that happens anyway. I don't know. I don't want to give too much away because I'm not seeing the film. But uh, was it comical at all? Or oh, there were bits. There more were of a bits dramedy. To it. it was dramedy. Yeah, mm. there was a lot. It was a very you know bal- There wasn't like any you know those kind of pratfally kind of things like uh, she almost finds out that he's the agony aunt and all that kind yes. of stuff. They weren't they weren't playing it for yucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, a, yeah, more kind of you felt awe because you know, to be like, you know, uh, told this stuff mm. about yourself uh, when they think it's somebody else is just awe. It hits you in the heart. It just like, yeah. must be very painful. And like for him not to just go, hey, screw you, this is me, how dare you kind of thing. That was interesting as well. So there's a lot going on in this film. Um, 
It's 112 minutes. Obviously, it's in uh, Italian with a bit of Spanish as well, uh, and it's got subtitles, so uh, don't worry. You won't get lost. You'll be able to understand what's going on. Perfect. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be uh, playing as part of the uh, Italian Film Festival, so uh, I would recommend uh, checking that one out. Because it uh, begins uh, September 24th or 22nd, I think, the Italian Film Festival, but you can have a look at the list of films at italianfilmfestival.com.au. But, yes, it uh, runs from end of September through to early October and there's always plenty to see. And they have a lot of old Italian films too that you can um, peruse and, and go and see as well as the new ones. Mm-hmm. So definitely check it out. And I think they do a, a, a ticket bundle as well. So you can purchase, uh, I think, 10 tickets um, for a certain cost and you can go and see 10 Italian films. So that sounds uh, really good. And I've got a few screeners I'm going to check out over the next few weeks from the Italian Film Festival. So we'll be talking more about that. Yeah, I've got to, got to watch some more. I've got heaps of them to get through. So <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I, I do love a good film festival, particularly from yeah Italy. And um, you've always got the Scandinavian ones and you've always got the German ones. And there's always something that you find that a little hidden gem in, in those. So we'll be talking more about them. Uh, for now, we are going to go to a sponsor and we'll be back in a moment. Did you know that Fremantle has its very own art house cinema? You'll find Luna on Essex, midway along Essex Street in the heart of Fremantle, screening an incredible variety of niche, foreign language and quality mainstream films in comfortable and intimate surrounds. It feels more like your own home movie theatre rather than a cinema. Catch up with friends for a pre-show drink in the fully licensed Alfresco area or enjoy a glass of wine and a cheese platter during the movie. Check out what's on along with details of forthcoming films, festivals and added value events at lunapalace.com.au. You're listening to Unscripted, the film show. Yes, we are back talking about films. There is a new film out called The Quiet Girl, uh, which you can see in select cinemas. And this is a film that comes to us from uh, Colm Barrett, who is fairly new to the filmmaking world. This is his first feature film and uh, it's an a film that's adapted from a novel uh, as well. And it's set in rural Ireland in the 1980s, uh, spoken in Gaelic as well, which is really interesting. I haven't really seen many Gaelic films out there, so it's nice to hear a bit of that uh, dialect and language and, and, and yeah, particularly in the 80s in, in Ireland. And the story follows a nine-year-old girl called Kate, played by Catherine Clinch, who is 12 years old in real life. And she's sent to stay with her relatives uh, while her mother prepares for a new baby. And I suppose the film kind of subtly contrasts the two homes that she, you know, her home in which she hides and really keeps to herself. And, you know, she has to escape her really boisterous siblings and alcoholic father and her mother who is preparing for this new baby, but is also clearly struggling with a little bit of depression as well. And... Then we have the other home of her relatives who own this dairy farm and, you know, they kind of dote on on Kate. And as the story progresses, we really learn more about Kate's relatives and some secrets are unearthed there as well. But, yeah, The Quiet Girl is a real simple observational piece about people really just doing the best that they can with what they've got. And, you know, in the lead, you've got in nearly every scene as well, Catherine Clinch, who is 12 and just does a wonderful performance as this young girl who is just taken from her home and put into a new home and has to really learn the way of, um, yeah, her foster parents. But it's such an interesting time as well, the 1980s in, in rural Ireland. And, you know, poverty was quite you know, strife mm. through and, yeah, she comes from a kind of really broken and poor family and then just gets doted on and, yeah, it's one of those films that can kind of only end one way as well and it's that, you know, she does have to return home uh, when her parents are ready. You know, it, it's more just for the summer that she mm. spends this time with the foster parents but, yeah, it, it's the way that she kind of connects to her for, foster parents and finally learns to be loved oh and, and to God. know what that's like and then, yeah, has to go back and she doesn't really want to leave. She's reluctant to go there in the first place but then never wants to, go, you know, doesn't want to leave at the end. So, yeah, it's a really interesting um, film and it kind of, yeah, it really grabbed me. 
I, I think. I went into this and I, I'm always a little bit reluctant when I see films about um, children mm, and mm. how are they going to capture you and your attention for the duration of the film because, you know, to be honest, not all children are great actors. Uh, so you re- really have to spend a lot of time finding the right fit for a film and I think they've really found that with this and, you know, she's lucky that she's she's 12 but she does look a little bit younger mm. so she can pull off that nine-year-old uh. Uh, quiet girl and I think when there's not a lot of dialogue happening as well, it's all in the expression and the face and, yeah, I think she does a wonderful job. So, yeah, really simple observational piece that you can kind of just go, oh, wow, these people are really just trying their hardest but there is some interesting developments within the film as well uh that that you know secret that's unearthed that i won't go into because i don't want to spoil the film but yeah it's a really good one i'd definitely get along to it if you can it is in cinemas now and yeah it's a, it's a lovely piece of film uh filmmaking and how many uh, out of five of what would you give that because i didn't I, I didn't score uh break broke up in uh in rome either so yes we should probably score these shouldn't we yeah. i'm gonna score this four and a half Welly boots. Four and a half welly boots. Nice, which is good to good thing to have in Ireland. Yes, because it's, it's yes yeah. wet. <laughs> in, in fact, anything up that like Ireland, Scotland, uh, the UK, wellies are a good thing. Like Cat <laughs> knows this firsthand because yes. we went to. And did you ever tell the story? We went to um, uh, Lefroy. Uh, was it? It was Lefroy. I think it was. I think it was Lefroy. Um, and uh, it was. Well, it was one of the distilleries, I'm pretty sure it was Lefroy. Um, and you can buy like a share in, like it's, it's buying like a little square of earth basically. Right, To say yes. that you're, you're a shareholder but you're not, yeah. you're, just, you're just going. It's like when people buy like a, a land, like a, Mars, part of Mars. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So like that. So, yeah. um, oh, I've just, I've, an acre of Mars. <laughs> I've just pulled my, pulled my plug up here. Um, yeah, so we went, uh, she bought this uh, like thing and you can go there and you can like stake your claim. So you get your like little flag for whichever oh. country you're from and you can go there and, no, it was, it was Lake of Allen, I think. Ah, oh. oh, it was Lake of Allen. Oh, it's, it's, it's an island and it's Scottish, so <laughs> forgive me. It's, uh, um, so you go and you plant your flag mm. and then uh, you, you go, that's my thing there. And Kat, because she's like Australian and New Zealand, she planted an Australian-New Zealand flag. But it was in a bog is where you, you, you plant your flag. Oh, so there's quite a trek, right? Yeah. So, you, so you go out there and they lend you welly boots so you can go out there in your welly boots. And so we went out there and Kat uh, sunk one of the wellies into the mud and was almost like falling over. And so she had to make the call, do I fall over or do I just sacrifice the welly boot and uh, like get the sock uh, muddy and uh, she went with that she she pulled her foot out of the welly and she put her foot into the bog in in and got a wet uh, wet foot Commitment. but at least she didn't fall over and uh, destroy her jeans and yes then, well that's it do you destroy one foot or yeah. your your jeans exactly and Ooh. and uh, i went back and i, I pulled the, the the welly out so it didn't get lost forever uh, so that was that was all good, but yeah, it's uh, very recommended if you're going to be you know, trudging around the uh, the moors uh, in the UK to, uh, or in Ireland to uh, to wear uh, to wear wellies. Yes, especially because you can be inside one minute it's mm. sunny and then you come out and it's completely raining. Exactly. So you, you do need to be prepared always. I've always got a, p- a pair in the um, back of my car. Do you? Even in Australia, <laughs> uh, mainly when I was living and working down south because. The down south is a little bit like the UK sometimes in that it rains a little bit more frequently than it does in, in Perth, Western Australia. And I found myself in lots of situations where I needed to be on a farm and things. So I've got a pair in there and they just stick in there because you never know when you need them. Nice. Very so. well, Ben. Uh, breaking up in Rome, um, I am going to give that um, three and a half VR sets. Oh, VR okay. sense. Yeah, because she's a game developer. That's VR, true. So, yeah. That's true. Well, it's good to score the film so people know what we think <laughs> and then obviously you guys can go and see them and see what you think as well. And, yeah, there's there's lots happening out there at the moment. There's a few really interesting films uh, set to release soon. We've got that Julia uh, – I was going to say Julia Clune. <laughs> Julia Roberts and George Clooney Julia, film. Julia Clooney <laughs> and, uh, and George Roberts. Yeah. George Roberts. <laughs> Uh, that film called Ticket to Paradise, which is uh, releasing towards the end of the month, that's going to be out uh, soon. That looks uh, like a, a fun ride. 
So I'm looking forward to seeing that one. And I'm also looking to uh, see what the reception is about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and uh, Moonage Daydream. So we'll know more next week when it's officially released as well. Mm. Uh, and then there's also Don't Worry Darling, which is being released, which is the film called... Um, with called it's the film with Florence Pugh and Harry Styles in it directed by Olivia Wilde uh, what the there seems to be a lot of controversy around this film there does there's there's controversy around the pay discrepancies I think there was controversy around I think Shia LaBeouf was set to play the lead in the film but then got replaced so and then there's controversy because Olivia Wilde was delivered some custody papers on stage by Jason uh she was with Jason Sudeikis yes while she was talking about the film so this film has really garnered a lot of she was on stage yeah doing what doing some press at press at press I can't speak today press and promotion for the film and And while yeah and um yeah the lawyers delivered the papers to her on stage which I thought was incredibly rude Uh, and look I don't know whose fault that is it might have been just the way that they do it in America I don't know I always think of that scene in Pineapple Express Mm -hmm. at the beginning where Seth Rogen is the guy that delivers papers to people and is in all those disguises I don't know what they're called um Um, You've been served. Yeah. You've been served. Yeah. Um, and I just remember that scene at the beginning and he's in all these different disguises and things like that and I just think it's absolutely hilarious. So that's how I imagine you are served when you're served papers is a guy or a girl dressed in a disguise comes up to you and hands you an envelope and goes, you've been served. Yeah. So. Which is weird. Like surely if you're getting divorced, mm. they're just like, you know, send the papers to your house. Yeah, and this was even worse because it was custody over the children or something. So it was even beyond, I just think, yeah, you know who she is. Don't do it in front of, you know, millions of people. And look, I don't actually know if it was press and promotion for this particular film, but it was for something. And yeah, there's been so much happening. So Uh, process server. Thank you, Alan. Uh, That's what they're called. I would actually like to be one of those people. If I can drive around <laughs> in my car listening to Electric Avenue, and um, with a bunch of disguises in in the back of my car, I don't know, I'd love to. I'd love to <laughs> um, hear from somebody who that's their job. Yeah, like because um, the only thing we know is, is like you know we've seen it in so many movies, mm. and like I'd love to know is that the case? Is that yep. what what happens, or or is it just? a much more banal kind of a situation. Yeah, like is it a job for a failed actor yeah. who like went to acting school but then couldn't get any jobs so he just becomes this person who acts like other people and serves papers? Mm. I don't think it's like that but it would be really uh, cool if it was. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, lots of controversy around this film but it looks – have you seen the trailer to it? Yes. Yes, I have, yeah. It's quite ambiguous. It kind of gives me Stepford Wives vibes. Mm. Uh, I'm wondering if they're kind of trying to produce this uh, controversy just mm-hmm. to promote the film. Well, you do have to wonder sometimes. Yeah, because it, I mean, yeah. it just seems like there's so much around this, this film because there was a thing with Chris Pine and Harry Styles at the Cairns. I think it was Cairns, wasn't it? Yes. Um, where people were going, oh, did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine? And oh. it's just like, well, I don't know. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it's, it looks to me like they're just trying to manufacture controversy um, to promote the film. Um, but anyway, we, we'll, we'll find out more when the, when the film comes out. But um, Brendan Fraser, uh, Brendan Fraser uh, is back. Um, he was so – one of the really annoying things about Batgirl being cancelled and the, the – I don't know if I mentioned it on this show, but – the the Batgirl movie, so they've they've uh, cancelled the movie that's been mostly filmed, and they're doing it because a film costs like ninety million dollars to make. Mm. If they cancel the film and never show it anywhere ever 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 ever, they can write down the film by twenty million dollars, so yeah. that the film. Uh, you know that that means that they you know are taking a hit, but they're not taking as big a. Hit. It, it seems weird. 
the film cost 90 million bucks to make. It would cost another 90 million dollars to uh, market it. Mm-hmm. But they've built up so much controversy now about this film. It would just make sense to finish the film and release it, mm. and you're at least going to make a half a million bucks. Yeah, easy because people I mean, are going to go. What have you got to lose now? Yeah, really. Because yeah. pe- people are going to go. Well, I've got to see what all the fuss is about, so I must go and watch this film. And it's uh, but it's just really frustrating because the uh, IRS in America is saying, no, 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 you can't just not ever release this film. We want you to destroy all the footage, and it's kind of like it's just so. It's horrible because all these people that wrote the film, directed the film, acted mm. the film, did the catering for the film. Mm. You know, these people were involved and all their work is, could quite possibly go up in smoke. But the, the thing that annoys me, the several things that annoy me about this is because Michael Keaton was going to be back as Batman in this film, which I want to see. And also Brendan Fraser was back as well mm-hmm. uh, in a like super villain role. And I wanted to see that as well. And now I can't get to see that. It's really annoying. It, yeah, it, I can't quite comprehend it. But there's been a lot of films that have, you know, made it to the, what do they call it, the cutting floor? Well, um, I mean, wait, is that the saying? Cutting room floor, but it's not usually whole films. No, it's, it's not usually. It's usually film. scenes. But there have been films destroyed over the years. I remember there was some controversy a few years ago and it's ref- oh, it was referenced in a Tarantino film, I think, as well. Some from Anyway, uh, it's a whole conversation we could have about films that don't ever get to see the day of light, which is really sad because it is an art piece, really, isn't it? Um, film. Which uh, the which film was that? I'm just thinking film in general. Well, to, mean, to destroy yeah. any film that's been made exactly, is, is yes. just a horrible thought. It's like when you paint a piece of, um, you know, paint a canvas to destroy that canvas. Like to think of that, that's quite horrific. Mm. Unless you're a really bad artist like myself, in which <laughs> I did one of those wine. You know when you go and wine and they teach you how yeah. to do it? Mine was so bad, I threw it out when I got home. I was like, I cannot look at that. Oh, no. <laughs> Did, when you're doing that, when you do the wine thing, mm. right, is are you starting with a blank canvas? You are, yeah. Really? They literally, yeah, and they, they guide you through it. It's quite, it's very entertaining because you see what other people come up with and, yeah, mine was just horrendous. I just couldn't see it. I just didn't want to see it, so I threw it out. But that's the only ever time you would throw yeah. something out. Did, <laughs> did they, like, have... Uh, was it a photograph of something or was it a, a still life that you were uh, painting or? It, I think it was a photo. Fo- no, it was a photograph of a lighthouse right. uh, on the ocean. So we had to do the sand and the sand banks and the ocean and the, the sky and the lighthouse. But, yeah, it just looked terrible. Mine looked like a giant <laughs> cigarette just stuffed <laughs> somewhere. Like, that's literally what it looked like. Were you, were you drinking a lot of wine? Like, I was. And I was think- it too much wine? <laughs> Maybe. Not enough painting. Yeah, I think you probably got a patient yourself when you do these things um maybe that's why but um quite the journey but yeah speaking of brendan fraser yeah uh the whale that yeah that it's like even though batgirl's not gonna be a thing the the whale is getting really well received it is and it's such it's a film by um darren aronofsky who is always does these real psychological mm. pieces you know mother for example and yeah it's, it's from a screenplay by samuel d hunter but the premise to the film is that you've got this 272 plus kilo middle-aged man charlie who tries to reconnect with his 17 year old daughter and the two kind of grew apart when charlie abandoned his family for a lover who later died but um he then went out to binge eat out of pain and guilt and gained all this weight. And Brendan Fraser has seriously gained weight for this film. He couldn't have he couldn't have got up to 270 kilos. I think there must be some, like, padding and stuff like that done. I feel that, like it's dangerous. But he's yeah. been putting on this weight for a few years because this was announced a few years ago, mm. this film. So I think he's been really in the process of um, putting this weight on for some time. But I do feel, though, that would be a dangerous weight to, to get to. But mm. I wonder if it is truly... Um, that weight. But it looks like an interesting film, uh, for sure. It's got that psychological kind of aspect to it with the binge eating and, yeah, I think Brendan Fraser, I haven't seen him on screen for such a long time. So it'll be... And he's getting lots of Oscar buzz for this role as mm. well. And I think any time somebody puts themselves into a situation where they have to physically transform themselves is always going to be Oscar buzz around that yeah, um, yeah. as well. So. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing this film. Mm. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what he does because... Um, you know, Brendan Fraser, we, I saw him a lot in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, Encino Man and then, you know, the Mummy movies and then um, 
in the uh, early 2000s, he kind of like just disappeared. So this is a real comeback. Yeah, it really is. I'm just trying to find out more information as to whether or not he is wearing, I think he may be wearing a fat suit uh, in the film, but I think some of it must be his weight as well. But he had a, um, at um, uh, the, uh, the the film festival. Um, he had a, a six minute standing ovation uh, at the. That's um, pretty impressive. Six minutes. Uh, the Venice Film Festival. Sorry, six not minutes. Six minutes, and it was. It's kind of cool when you watch the the footage of it, just to see how he gets kind of a bit, uh, you know. You know, embarrassed about it, and yeah. he kicks his foot and makes a bit of fun about it, and it's just like, oh, it's yeah, so damn cute. Oh. Um, he because last thing I would have seen him in before, like the next thing I see him in, uh, he was in Scrubs uh, for a few episodes, and that was a really heartfelt kind of um, you know role he had in that. Yeah, yep. Uh, Cat has just said that yes, prosthetics were used, so there you go. But I think regardless, it's it's an interesting role to play. Uh, you know, somebody with a binge eating kind of disorder, uh, particularly in a male, because I think eating disorders are talked among females a lot, but not so much in males. So I think there's an interesting, I think it's going to be a really good film. I'm mm, looking forward mm. to seeing it. I think it's really going to highlight some some interesting things. So can't wait to see that one. Yeah. Uh, looks fantastic. We do still have one sponsor to play before we head on out. So I should probably do that before we do, but I'm sure we'll come back and have a brief chat before the end of the show. Have you seen the TV series The Boys? I have seen. Not only have I seen – well, I haven't seen all of it yet. I've still got to see the, the third season. I've never seen it, but I'm hearing more and more about this and more and more I want to watch it. Uh, I own uh, all the Boys comics uh, right. because it's written by one of my favourite writers, Garth Ennis. Yes. Um, and uh, it is just – it's uh, the, the comic is amazing. If you think what they do in the, the TV show is pretty full on and uh, like pushing the envelope, it's nothing compared to what Garth did in the comic books. Wow, because I've heard some scenes um, – people have kind of mentioned certain things that happen in this TV show and I'm like, wow, that's insane. But – it's essentially super bad superheroes, right? Yes. So it's a, it's a world where. Uh, they've created a, a drug called mm-hmm. Compound V, which can give people superpowers. Yeah. Uh, but you never really know what the superpowers are going to you know, end up like. Um, and it's all like corporatized superstructures. So. Um, there's the main superhero team called the Seven, which is basically the Justice League. Yeah. And their um, uh, leader of uh, the the leader of the Seven um, is this Superman type character who is just pure evil. Wow. <laughs> um, but it's the the boys are basically there to you know keep the the soups in line and you know kick their heads in when they require it. So um, in in the comic there was uh, a character um, called Wee Huey and Wee Huey is in the TV show as well. But in the comics Wee Huey is this wee Scottish character and he uh, was modelled on um, uh, Simon Pegg. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it, it, Simon Pegg plays the dad of Wee Huey in the TV show. So, uh, yeah, no, The Boys is, is really good. It's showing on Amazon Prime um, and uh, it's it's hard for me uh, because I'm so, like, I know the comic book so well. Watching a TV show um, and seeing uh, Carl, um, Carl Urban, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, the first season, his accent was just not right, <laughs> but I hope in subsequent seasons it's improved and he's more British. He's um, more British. And the thing is, in the comic, um, he's always, uh, you know, his sidekick is a little bulldog, a uh, British bulldog Aww. called Terror, and and Terror is a great character, but the, having an animal in the TV show means either having a trained dog or having a CGI dog mm-hmm. and they didn't go with the cost of either of those things. So, oh, yeah. Well, shame. Oh, well, I'm going to check it out. That's for sure. It looks, um, looks really good. I think there's a few seasons, so I've got plenty to catch up on. Have you watched She-Hulk yet? No, not yet. You have to watch She-Hulk. Okay. It's, I will add this to the list She-Hulk as well. She-Hulk is really good. Like it's, um, uh, it's a uh, courtroom drama mm-hmm. 
where the main uh, character is a seven-foot-tall green powerhouse mm. uh, and uh, she also breaks a fourth wall. So she will address the, the, the camera at some point. I do and enjoy the breaking of the fourth yes, wall, that's yes. for sure. And uh, Tatiana Maslany is the lead actress who was from Orphan Black and she could act like any anyone in the world she could be she's just such a brilliant actress uh sorry actor and uh yeah i just uh I, I love her work and i can't wait to go home and, and watch some more of it there you go well we have officially come to the end of another show of unscripted we'll be back next week talking about more films see you then bye this podcast has been brought to you by the gentlemen of pop culture